Mr. Reagan. Two studies out of Finland showed that women who have abortions are seven times more likely to commit suicide than women who give birth. According to the researcher David C. Reardon, 60% of women who have had an abortion experience suicidal feelings. And of the women that he interviewed, 28% had attempted suicide. That's almost one-third. And among teenagers, it's even worse. Teenage girls who have abortion are 10 times more likely to attempt suicide than girls who've not had an abortion. So for all these protesters who say abortion saves lives, no. Abortion always kills the child, and sometimes it kills the mother too. Mr. Reagan. Win any abortion debate with this argument. Mr. Reagan. All right, so we've got the big Supreme Court ruling, which has driven leftists out of their minds. So extreme that women and girls were forced to bear their rapist child. Children who get pregnant, they can be forced to bear their rapist's child. Six extremists on the Supreme Court want the government to enforce their religious beliefs. The goal was to overturn Roe v. Wade, specifically to control women. What the Supreme Court just did was that they chose to endanger the lives of all women and all birthing people in this country. The current Supreme Court harbors the most corrupted Supreme Court justice in history who infamously ruled on a case involving his wife's attempt to encourage people to commit election fraud. Three Supreme Court justices lied under oath. At a basic level, if you want rights in this country under this conservative Supreme Court, you better be a cis-hetero white man or an Uzi. The only actual solution, it might sound hard, it might sound radical, the only actual solution is to expand the court with people who believe Amen. in secular government. This decision was intended to throw scalding acid into the face of people who feel strongly about abortion rights. It was intended to shock. What this was did this morning, I think, pushed our beloved bleeding country in the direction of almost civil war. This is government mandated pregnancy. You got a, you got a gay kid that's married? They're coming after your kid next. We may in fact be celebrating the, the, the last gay pride month. Heads are exploding all over the place. You are almost for sure going to run into somebody in the near future who will want to debate the abortion issue with you. So how do you win any abortion debate with any crazy radical leftist? Now, before I give you guys my bulletproof argument against abortion, I would like to explain a little bit about why this argument is so effective. First of all, we've got to look at the abortion issue from the perspective of a pro-abortion radical. Now, these guys do not frame the debate with regard to whether or not that fetus is a child and needs to be protected. They completely disregard that, right? They are already working from the assumption that a fetus has no value. And if you work from that assumption, yeah, of course, why wouldn't you be legally allowed to destroy the fetus? They completely disregard the argument that that child might have value, that that fetus might have the same intrinsic value as a human being, that it might have a soul. They just disregard that. So their main argument is simply that Pro-life conservatives are evil. That's, <laughs> that is the basis for their entire argument. I'm not joking. 
So the first thing that we have to do before we actually get into the debate about the fetus and the debate about whether abortion should be legal is we have to establish the intent, the motivation of pro-life conservatives. So now here's basically the argument that leftists make. Let's just make the argument that the fetus has no value. We assume that. And so why would you want to stop a woman from destroying a fetus that's just a cluster of cells and doesn't have any value? Why would you want to do that? Well, the reason they say <laughs> that pro-life conservatives want to do this is because it's about controlling women. The goal was to overturn Roe v. Wade specifically to control women. They say that white men specifically, conservative pro-life white men, want to control women's bodies. Well, whenever I've heard this argument, I always say the same thing. I turn to the person, I look them straight in the eye, and they say, listen, I am pro-life, and I'm here to tell you right now, I have no interest in controlling your body. <laughs> now, I would say that to some degree, every law controls people, people's bodies. I mean, if you say murder is illegal, well, what do you mean that I can't pull this trigger finger and blow that guy's brains out? You're controlling my body! It's a stupid argument, controlling the body. That doesn't, it, it doesn't actually make any sense. Nobody has a motivation to control your body. We're stopping your body from doing something that's going to kill somebody else. That's the, that's the limit, that's the entirety of the control that we want over your body, stopping you from murdering somebody. That's it. And so what you got to do here is you got to convince the person you're debating, I have no intention of controlling anyone's body. My only motivation is to save the life of the child. Now, you may not agree with me, that that fetus is a child, but that's what I believe. And if you can convince them of that, only then can you get to the next step in this debate. And you may say, well, that's impossible. They'll never accept that. But I've had debates with very hardcore leftists, and I've gotten them to accept that conservatives like myself, pro-life people like myself, actually want to protect the child. Because it's a very difficult argument for them to oppose. I mean, how can they know what you believe better than you? So now you've established that pro-life conservatives are not monsters, and it's time to move on to the main event. So what is the bulletproof argument that will win any abortion debate? That in one moment. All right, so here is the ironclad bulletproof argument that you can take to your 4th of July party and create an awkward silence when you stump the radical feminists there who don't know how to respond to you. At the end of the day, the abortion debate boils down to one question. Does the fetus have value? Now, we all accept that basic human life has value. In fact, most people would say that human life is the most valuable thing in the universe. And yet, we do not value the fetus at all. Naturally, a lot of us recognize this and we say, hold on, maybe the progenitor of a living human child also has value. It turns into a living human child, so maybe we shouldn't just be cutting it up and tossing it into the trash. Now, obviously, Christians believe that human beings have a soul, and most Christians believe that the soul lives in the body, not just after a child is born, but also when it is a fetus. But atheists don't believe in the soul, so that kind of language isn't going to be compelling to them. So what I like to say is intrinsic value. We can't kill other people because we believe that all humans have intrinsic value. And so the question boils down to whether or not the fetus has the same intrinsic value as a human child, or even just enough to deter us from killing it arbitrarily. Now, this is a very difficult question to answer in a demonstrable way. How do you demonstrate that a fetus has value? But then again, demonstrating that a living person has value is also extremely difficult. And this is because there's no way to measure intrinsic value. You can measure utilitarian value, 
but not intrinsic value. There's no instrument by which we can determine intrinsic value. And that is why this subject is so hotly debated. And so here is where the abortion argument loses. With something as valuable as human life, one should reasonably err on the side of caution. Human life has the most intrinsic value of anything in the universe. And so this thing that turns into a human should also be assumed to have some level of intrinsic value and therefore should not be able to be discarded simply for the sake of convenience. It's best I've found to illustrate this with the example of a cardboard box and a kitten. Imagine I bring you an empty cardboard box and I give you a baseball bat and I say for $100, would you smash this box? Just obliterate it, beat it to a pulp. Well, of course, you'd say, yes, it's a cardboard box. It has no value. But if, just before you swung the bat, I stopped you, and I said, wait, before you smash that to bits, I need to tell you, there may or may not be a kitten in that box. Now, would you smash the box then? Of course not. Nobody's going to risk murdering a baby kitten for $100. I mean, somebody might, but... They're called sociopaths. In this analogy, the cardboard box represents the fetus, and the kitten represents the intrinsic value, what a Christian would call the soul. But pro-abortion activists try not to think about the kitten because they don't want to believe that they're killing anything. They just think about the box, and they pretend that they know that there's no kitten in there. But they don't know that. They're assuming. And that is sociopathic. If you assume that the fetus has anything less than the value of a human life, you are risking murder by killing it. A fetus should be treated as precious, something of the greatest value. The argument can be put as simple as this. Does the fetus have the same intrinsic value as a human child? We don't know. And because we don't know, we can't kill it. I once dated a girl who was pro-abortion. Her parents were Democrats, and she was a pretty naive person generally. And when I found out that she was pro-abortion, I debated her on this issue using the example of the kitten in the box. Of course, she tried to argue against me, but naturally, she could not deny my logic. So finally, she got so frustrated that she just shouted out, Look, we all know it's a baby. We just don't care. And that's their secret. They know that they're killing their children. And this, I think, is why they get so emotional about this issue, why they're so passionate. This is one of those rare subjects in which the truth is obvious to both sides. And yet, one side will still argue against the truth, even though they know what the truth is. There are just some people who selfishly want the legal right to murder children. And why? Simply because it's convenient. And so, knowing that they don't have a good argument, they'll kick and scream and lash out in order to get that right. I also think that there's a level of guilt that they're always fighting to stay buried. If they scream loud enough, maybe they won't hear the whisper of their conscience telling them that what they're doing is wrong. Now, there are many pro-abortion activists who, after you stump them with this logic, will still dismiss your argument. They'll just repeat over and over again, it's not a child, it's not a child, it's not a child, acting like children themselves with their fingers in their ears. And so that is when you ask this. Are you a racist? Because the facilitation of abortion in America disproportionately affects black Americans, one of the groups that leftists most strongly pretend to want to help. 40% of abortions in America are of black children, and yet black Americans only make up about 12% of the population. And this is not just a matter of socioeconomic status or cultural differences. This is intentional. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was a eugenicist. She believed that all of the undesirable elements in society should not be allowed to reproduce. 
and that included black Americans. According to the Life Issue Institute, 86% of Planned Parenthood's abortion facilities are located in black and Latino neighborhoods. And so I guess abortion is a good thing if you hate black people. I'm going to leave you with one bonus point just in case a leftist brings it up. There's an argument that the left often uses that abortion saves lives. What is their reasoning? Well, it's twofold. One, back alley abortions. If abortion is illegal, then a black market can crop up in which shady characters who use unsterilized instruments perform abortions. They argue that these illegal abortions endanger the life of the mother. Also, they claim that some girls will try to abort the child themselves, usually with coat hangers. Now, how often this coat hanger thing actually occurred before Roe versus Wade is debatable, but nevertheless, I find this argument somewhat compelling. But it's not super compelling. The embarrassment of carrying a child to term isn't great, I imagine, but I think it's a lot less harmful than killing an unborn child. In any case, the back alley argument is irrelevant because this new Supreme Court decision did not make abortion illegal. It simply made it a state-by-state issue. So if a woman really wants to have an abortion so badly that she's going to try to do it herself, well, then she'll probably also make the effort to travel to a state in which abortion is legal. And that is most of the states. It's not like the 1800s when travel was difficult and dangerous. You can jump in a car and comfortably be in a new state within a few hours. And you know, if Joe Biden really wants to do something to help women who want to get abortions, maybe he should make an effort to lower gas prices. The other reason that pro-abortion advocates say that abortion saves lives is that they claim that if a girl can't get an abortion, she might kill herself. And yeah, that's true. It's possible that some girls who are particularly vulnerable, perhaps suffering from extreme pressure or anxiety or mental illness, maybe they'll do that. But you've got to weigh that against the likelihood that they're going to end their lives because of the abortion. And yes, that is a thing. You never hear about it because pro-abortion radicals have no interest in broadcasting those statistics. But here they are. Two studies out of Finland showed that women who have abortions are seven times more likely to commit suicide than women who give birth. According to the researcher David C. Reardon, 60% of women who have had an abortion experience suicidal feelings. And of the women that he interviewed, 28% had attempted suicide. That's almost one-third. And among teenagers, it's even worse. Teenage girls who have abortion are 10 times more likely to attempt suicide than girls who've not had an abortion. So for all these protesters who say abortion saves lives, no. Abortion always kills the child, and sometimes it kills the mother too. Well, that's it for me. And remember, it's not that our liberal friends are ignorant. It's just that they know so much that is not so. Good night. What single issue could say more about a society's values than the degree of respect shown for human life at its most vulnerable, human life still unborn? Hello. Welcome to Ann Coulter's Substack. I'm going to be doing a video today on um, the weather in New York. No, just kidding. This will be on abortion. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but the Supreme Court has, quote, overturned Roe, and there is no issue dearer to liberal hearts than abortion. No issue so important. The way they talk about it, you'd think it's a matter of life and death. Um, the reason, uh, abortion, there's nothing they lie about more. The reason the Supreme Court is so important to the left, uh, is that they can't get Americans to vote for the 
things they want, abortion, sodomy, gay marriage, um, cheating on elections. Uh, so they, 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 they tried to win a democracy, but they lose. So they prefer to have philosopher kings on the Supreme Court who will just announce decisions for the whole, for the whole country, looking at our very limited constitution. And, oh my gosh, here's this right buried here no one's ever noticed before, but we just found it, as long as a majority of justices say so. So they began politicizing the Supreme Court, um, well, back under the Warren Court, I guess, with the proliferation of insane, sudden discoveries of rights or non-rights in the Constitution, no prayer in schools, for example. That's why there were banners, um, the huge billboards across America, impeach Earl Warren. That's how well things went. If we followed our constitution in a constitutional republic, Supreme Court nominations would be tepid affairs. No one would care. They're not supposed to be the ones writing the rules. They're supposed to be the ones interpreting the rules. And the constitution provides really not that many rules and not that many rights. One of them is the right to bear arms. One of them is the right to free speech and free assembly. Uh, those are the ones they don't like. No, they like their ap apocryphal rights like abortion and sodomy and gay marriage and, oh, a million rights for criminals. Um, so hopefully this is the beginning of the Supreme Court moving in a direction where things are moved back to the states, which is the most freedom-promoting concept uh, ever devised by the man, minds of men. You can live in a state if you want lots of abortions, abortions until the last minute, uh, abortions to age 13. You can live in New York or California. But this is why suddenly Supreme Court nominations, particularly when a Republican president nominates someone to the Supreme Court, um, it's, it is a battle to the death for, for liberals, literally, um, because they don't want you to have a say in how you are governed, in what laws you live under. They want their philosopher kings sitting on the Supreme Court and deciding, oh, we like this, we don't like this. And, you know, if you only have five people whose minds you have to change by cajolery, by sneering, by Linda Greenhouse articles in the New York Times, um, that's a lot easier than convincing tens of millions of Americans voting in a particular state so this is a great freedom-promoting decision. Um, as I've said before, all lawyers who are not lying are appalled by the decision in Roe v. Wade, which was already overruled by Casey. Um, so the overruling of Roe was kind of fake to begin with. Um, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, said it was a faulty decision based on nothing, um, based on the 14th Amendment protecting um, the state shall not deprive you of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. That's where, where they've been getting the right to abortion. The right to kill is the right to life in our Constitution. We've also seen some right-wingers saying, now we need Congress to pass a federal law um, saying there will be no right to abortion, protect human life from Congress. 
no, no, settle down, right-wingers. The Constitution does not give the Congress the right to pass a federal law. Now, okay, admittedly, Congress passes a lot of laws that it doesn't have constitutional authority for, but I think <laughs> I think we're better off living on, in freedom um, under a constitution written by men much smarter than we are. Uh, this is a state matter. Again, you can have abortions up until age 13, California and New York, and don't worry, taxpayers will fund it, um, but maybe not in Mississippi, Utah, Louisiana. I note that some conservatives have taken the CRT position toward toward abortion. The America is a racist country as their opposition to abortion. Um, I, I guess the rules are now that we can only criticize policies, whether it's a Supreme Court policy or a state legislative policy, by um, whether it's good or bad for black people, um, whether it comes from a history of racism. Uh, I don't know why you can't just say, we don't think you should be allowed to kill other people, even if they're inconvenient. But this has become a big thing on the right wing. That's Margaret Sanger, and this is true, she was part of the eugenics movement. And the idea was that defective people um, should be aborted in the womb. Um, the main focus of that was really not black people. They were kind of irrelevant, to be honest with you. Uh, yes, yes, black people would, there were Planned Parenthood clinics sent to black neighborhoods, but where did eugenics really take off right-wingers? Think, think, think. Ah, Germany. <laughs> they didn't have a large black population. No, it was white people eugenics was being applied to. It was white defectives. It was white criminals. That was 90% of the eugenics movement. Though, yes, it is true. Planned Parenthood clinics were spread throughout the black neighborhoods. But can you oppose abortion on grounds other than it's racist? I keep hearing this is the first time the court has has taken away rights that have been given. Um, heard of heard of slavery? <laughs> um, how about one of the most head spinning reversals was uh, in 1983? The court issued uh, a case named by God Bowers v. Hardwick finding that, I think it was Georgia's law, against sodomy was constitutional. You didn't have to pass a law against sodomy, but turns out our Constitution doesn't say anything about sodomy. When it doesn't say anything about an issue, as it does about very, very few things, speech, assembly, guns, um, <laughs> the right to a jury trial. Actually, that was incorporation by the 14th Amendment. Um, very few rights are, uh, are, are protected by our Constitution. The rest are up to democracy. So Bowers v. Hardwick, yes, Georgia, you have a law against sodomy. I think every single one of the Supreme Court justices said, I think this is a stupid law, but there's nothing preventing you from passing it, Georgia. Georgia overruled it a few years later. It was an anachronistic law, and it was just a, a trial case that was taken up to the Supreme Court. Yet and still, Supreme Court ruling, state, you want to ban sodomy? Have at it. Uh, 
then about 15 years later, Texas versus Lawrence, they overruled that precedent. That's what happens with precedents. You can overrule them, which is why I've been particularly enjoying um, any discussion of abortion on MSNBC. We have to replay all of the conservative justices' statements when during their nomination hearings stating that Roe slash Casey is the law of the land. It is precedent. Roe is precedent. It was upheld by Casey. That's double precedent. Yes, it is precedent. Mrs. Wade is uh, an important precedent of the Supreme Court. It was decided in 1973, so it's been on the books for a long time. It has been challenged on a number of occasions, and I discussed those yesterday, and it is my, and the Supreme Court has reaffirmed the decision sometimes on the merits, sometimes in Casey, based on stare decisis. And I think that when a decision is challenged and it is reaffirmed, that strengthens its value. I would tell you that Roe versus Wade, decided in 1973, is a precedent of the United States Supreme Court. It has been reaffirmed, so a good judge will consider it as precedent of the United States Supreme Court, worthy as treatment of precedent like any other. As a judge, it is an important precedent of the Supreme Court. By it, I mean Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Been reaffirmed many times. Casey is precedent on precedent. Roe is not a super precedent because calls for its overruling have never ceased, but that doesn't mean that Roe should be overruled. These, I really want to have a blunt conversation about this, Claire. I mean, their, their nominations were graced by Mitch McConnell. What was that? Was it lying before Congress? Was that thinking we wouldn't be able to find the tape? What was that? Yes, it's precedent. And precedent has now been overturned, as it was in Lawrence versus Texas and any number of other cases, including Dred Scott. <laughs> Remember that one? Does that ring a bell, liberals? Uh, we keep hearing uh, on uh, TV the angry feminist Harridan saying, um, our daughters won't have the same rights as we will. Well, they'll have one right that they didn't have before, the right to be born, so there's, there's that. There are pros and cons. One right, one right taken away, but another one being born um, was just extended to your daughters or future daughters. Um, I think it's worth saying, even though I would be proud to be a member of a party, uh, that, <laughs> that not only found Roe v. Wade and Casey intellectually offensive, but also morally offensive. Um, it's been striking to me how the media keeps lying about how this is just totally a Republican versus Democrat issue. I refer you to the state of Louisiana. It was Democrats, I mean, they had a trigger law. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, we are banning abortion immediately. This was pushed by a number of Democrats in the Louisiana legislature. In the Senate um, of 10 Dem Democrats, eight voted for it, the two who didn't vote for banning abortion in Louisiana, the two Democrats who did not support banning abortion, um, didn't make a fuss about it. <laughs> the Democratic governor signed it into law. You see, liberals, there are regional differences in America. 
Why can't you just leave people alone? You don't have Louisianans and Mississippians flying up to New York saying, that's it, no more gay rights parade. We're shutting down the bathhouses. No, they just say, you know, New York's not really for me. No, you you can't stand the idea that somewhere, (laughs) somewhere in America, a baby's life could be saved. Oh, but see, on the Democrat-Republican issue, one of the oddest things I saw today was um, Representative Tim Ryan, who is running for Senate in Ohio, which is not San Francisco or New York City or Los Angeles. Uh, Tim Ryan rushed down to one of the the pro-abortion protests and denounced the court's ruling, um, biggest government overreach in this country's history, government-mandated pregnancy. Government-mandated pregnancy. That's like, I don't know, government-mandated AIDS. There are things you have to do to get pregnant, and that's completely still within, within your realm. Don't have unprotected sex. Yeah, that's just your moderate Democrat. That's what he's going to be trying to convince the voters of Ohio. Um, hope they will notice that he is not such a moderate Democrat. Uh, A big claim being made today, including by the Daily Mail, America's greatest newspaper, but whoops, they got this one wrong, um, is this insistence that Clarence Thomas said, okay, we're coming for contraception next. That's it. Gay marriage, it's gone. Uh, Constitutional protection for for abortion or for uh, contraception. Um, No, what he said is, Again, um, I have to go back to how lawyers see uh, this case and constitutional law. Um, I remember being so very happy when running into um, some very smart Harvard Law School uh, lawyers one time and having them describe the exact sensation I had at law school. And I think all sane people do at law school. You know, I like rules. I like knowing the rules. I really loved the blue book, how you do case citations. Just give me the rule and and I'll go. I loved um, federal rules of civil procedure. We got rules. <laughs> I can follow the rules. Uh, and then and then we all take constitutional law and suddenly you think you're retarded because none of it makes any sense. And one of the most beautiful examples is how they got their illegitimate abortion ruling to begin with, just as um, they use an amendment that says no person shall be deprived of a life without due process of law. Um and turns turning that into you know a mandate that you're allowed to to kill babies in the womb. Um, similarly, the due process clause. Um, I think English speakers know what process means. There's process, and then there's substance. Um, liberals concocted this idea: substantive due process. Well, no, these are opposites. It's like black and white. There's substance and there's process. So substantive due process is the Supreme Court grabbing onto the due process clause, which again means due process, means there has to be a hearing. It might probably means you have to have um, both sides able to talk, but basically you have to have a hearing before you can take property or liberty away from Americans, a process. 
That's not what the underlying rule is. No, they took that and turned it into substantive due process where the Supreme Court gets to announce, well, whatever they want, whatever they want. Oh, suddenly we've discovered a right to fill in the blank of whatever the ACLU just asked for. That's substantive due process. And it was that doctrine that Clarence Thomas beautifully attacked in his concurrence in this case, Dobbs, the abortion case. Um, I won't I won't read all of what he has to say, but I'll read a few lines. He says, the resolution of this case is thus straightforward because the due process clause does not secure any substantive rights. It does not secure a right to abortion. This is what he is saying. And he, in fact, specifically said uh, what, what rights have been justified by substantive due process. Well, the ones I mentioned, contraception, sodomy, um, gay marriage. There's nothing in the Constitution about that. You can either pass a constitutional amendment or maybe, as Clarence Thomas suggests, perhaps those rights are protected by some other provision in the Constitution. Perhaps it is in the Privileges or Immunities Clause. But it's not substantive due process because substantive due process is an oxymoron. That is Clarence Thomas's concurrence. But the real point is, besides the constitutional nonsense that has been used to get to these non-constitutional rights, do you really think your state is going to ban contraception? Run for office. <laughs> do you really think your state is going to ban sodomy. These were archaic laws that were still on the books, and liberals piloted them to the Supreme Court so they could win a, quote, privacy right. And once the camel's nose was under the tent, woohoo, we're going crazy. Suddenly there's a right to abortion. As for gay marriage, yes, states did vote on gay marriage. 33 of them voted to reject gay marriage. And then the Supreme Court discovered our precious constitutional right to gay marriage, first conceived in the mind of James Madison. Um, yeah, that's really outrageous, but according to polls, having, having gay marriage declared a constitutional right has changed people's minds. And now most Americans support gay marriage, so you got a big leg up on that one, um, getting your state legislatures to allow gay marriage. Uh, you're not going to get a leg up in the future. You're not going to get nonsense declared a constitutional right just because the editorial page of the New York Times wants it. But nobody involved in the writing of the Constitution ever even conceived of it, uh, which is leads to... Um, my almost final point, well, maybe it's my final point, on the abortion case today, and that is um, all of you Republican donors uh, wasting your money by writing multi-million dollar checks to Tim Scott or various other useless organizations, um, could you write your money to get bodyguards for our six Supreme Court justices? I have been worried about that all day. Um, I don't think I'm telling liberals anything they haven't already thought of. We know that there was that assassin outside Justice Kavanaugh's home, but all liberals have to do is knock off one or two of those six justices. Biden is present. President, he replaces them. And they get their philosopher kings back to push through whatever they want 
in the teeth of how the American people want to vote, particularly state by state, how they are voting. This is of absolute utmost importance to the left. As you may have seen, there's a group called Jane's Revenge that is planning massive protests. They've already bombed some pregnancy centers that encourage women not to have abortions. They don't, (laughs) the pregnancy centers, just, you know, in case you're deciding against an abortion, we'll help you out. We'll set you up with adoption agencies. We'll pay for your prenatal care. We'll make your life much easier. That's all these pregnancy centers do. They're not out shooting abortionists. Um, but no, this is what the pro, pro-death pro crowd is going for, promising massive riots. And uh, this will be my last prediction on this. When the Jane's Revenge rioters, they've already bombed since, since the leaked opinion, they've already bombed two pregnancy centers. Um, they seem to have encouraged an assassin to be hanging out outside Justice Kavanaugh's house. Um, I say that when the malefactors are arrested, they are going to be Antifa, and they are going to be overwhelmingly transgender men. That's all on the abortion decision for tonight. Thank you. Unsafe. Unsafe. Every fact and culture states got every lib out there feeling unsafe. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. We're coming to you this evening from Rio de Janeiro, which is a huge and beautiful and very complex city on the South American coast. We're going to be here all week. We're filming a documentary for our Tucker Carlson original series on the rise of Chinese power and influence in Brazil. Brazil is the largest economy in Latin America by far. It's one of the biggest in the world. And it is the most important ally of the United States in the Western Hemisphere. Brazil is a big deal. And yet the Biden administration seems determined to hand Brazil over to the sphere of influence of the Chinese Communist Party. Why is that exactly? We hope to find out. We'll also be sitting down for a rare interview with the president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, soon. We'll bring that to you when we do. But first time, we'd like to begin with the loud and at times violent response to the end of Roe v. Wade that came down to the Supreme Court on Friday, as you know. If you've been following this, you may have noticed a profound change in the way the Democratic Party talks about the issue of abortion. Gone is the empathy or the room for compromise. So from the very beginning of this debate 50 years ago, even the staunchest pro-lifer acknowledge the anguish of young women who are pregnant and don't want to be, who are alone and feel trapped by the child growing inside them. And that is the reason that pro-life institutions have built crisis pregnancy centers. And to be fair, for generations, even the most committed pro-choicers acknowledge the inherent sadness of abortion, which at the very least is the end of a potential life. Quote, I do not view abortion as a choice, said Joe Biden, as recently as 2006. I think it's always a tragedy. And of course, it always is a tragedy, even if you believe it should be legal. And Democrats once said this out loud forthrightly. In fact, in 1997, as White House counsel, now Supreme Court Justice Elena Kagan urged her boss, Bill Clinton, to sign a ban on partial birth abortions. Elena Kagan has always been pro-choice, but ending the life of a child a week before birth was too much even for her. And of course, for his part, Bill Clinton never spoke about abortion as anything but as a last resort. He famously described it as something that should be, quote, safe, legal, and rare. 
Our vision should be of an America where abortion is safe and legal, but rare. You don't hear that on the left anymore, ever. In fact, many on the left now behave as if abortion is itself a positive good, excited by the fact that a child who would have been born wasn't. Think about that for a moment, celebrating the failure of a child to come into the world. What does that say about how you feel about children or about people? In fact, some behave as if having an abortion is preferable to having children. How do we know this? Well, no one on the left encourages women to brag about having kids. Having more than a couple of children at most is, in fact, is considered weird and embarrassing, something that Mormons and people who live in the ghetto do. But abortion? That's something to tell your friends about. There's even a Shout Your Abortion campaign, highly well-funded, complete with perky t-shirts bragging about ending your pregnancy. What does that say? Nothing good. Over the weekend, you saw a lot of people proudly shouting about their abortions at pro-choice riots all over the country. Here's what Washington, D.C. and Los Angeles looked like. that. The hysteria is telling. It's not the assault on bodily autonomy of the end of Roe versus Wade. Those are the same people who demanded vaccine mandates. But this happened all over the country. In Arizona, thousands of enraged rioters tried to storm the state capitol. On Friday night, they tore down security fencing around the building. They pounded on the Senate's glass doors and windows while the legislature was in session. Police had to fire tear gas from the windows to protect the politicians inside. Here's what the state capital of Arizona looked like on Friday. Looks like insurrection to us, but no arrests were made at the Arizona state capitol on Friday when that footage was shot. There will be no FBI investigation. Democrats who called January 6th the racist insurrection said nothing this weekend about the violent siege of the state capital of Arizona. Did you expect them to? No, of course not. And in fact, instead, they justified it. Let's be clear. We have uh, so many problems with the Supreme Court and the legitimacy. This court has lost legitimacy. They have burned whatever legitimacy they may still have had. This is a crisis of legitimacy. And that threatens the court's long-term legitimacy. The court is about to face one of the largest threats to perceived legitimacy ever in its history. The Supreme Court has lost legitimacy with the American people. The crisis of the very legitimacy of the United States Supreme Court fills me with sorrow. Well, you got to give them credit for all being on the same page as usual. We'd love to get the conference code to the morning call where they set that up. But because the court did something they don't like, they're not telling us the third branch of government is, quote, illegitimate. The Supreme Court is illegitimate because it's allowing voters to decide what they want to do with abortion. Some will call that democracy, a system in which citizens choose their own form of government. They're telling us it's illegitimate. On Sunday, the unelected governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, explained that without nine members of the Supreme Court dictating the law for hundreds of millions of Americans, women are fundamentally oppressed. 
because we're going to get a flood of people. I have declared this as our safe harbor. This is where we have the Statue of Liberty welcoming people who are oppressed, women who cannot receive fundamental right to control their body or receive an abortion. They are oppressed. They're welcome here in the state of New York. So we could go on and on and play you absurd soundbite after absurd soundbite. But what are we seeing here? It's not simply an attack, an explicit attack on the legitimacy of the third branch of government, the court. It's not just an attack on the right of people to govern themselves. It's something bigger than that. What you're seeing is a coordinated attack on the family and on children. People at these protests are angered at the idea that children are being born. Watch what's happening there. That is hardly an overstatement. Here's a photograph on your screen from this weekend. It was taken outside the Supreme Court. It shows a mother humiliating her children in public, implying they, have bur they are a burden to her because they are still living. We saw things like this everywhere at pro-abortion protests, often in full view of children. This was the scene, for example, in Dallas this weekend. Watch. So what is that exactly? What about the thought of having children makes these people so angry? Where does an attitude like that come from? Well, as it turns out, that attitude comes from the same place the Democratic Party now gets all of its attitudes, directly from corporate America. Corporate America wants you childless. And this is a big change. A hundred years ago, big companies built housing for the families of their employees and then schools and libraries to educate them. It was the humane thing to do, but it also seemed to make good business sense at the time. If you wanted workers you could count on, you had to take care of them and their offspring. But over time, that arrangement got expensive. Employees with families demanded higher wages to support their children, and in many cases, they formed unions to get those raises. So labor costs soared. So corporate America, in response to this, developed a new model, hire single women. At many big companies, including in the traditionally male banking sector, young women now make up the majority of new employees. And you can see why they do. They work hard, they're reliable, they tend to be loyal to the companies they work for. The one downside to hiring young women is they can get pregnant. If you're running the HR department at Citibank, that is the last thing you want. Children make your health care plan more expensive. Worse than that, they tend to compete with an employee's attention. Responding to after-work emails seems less pressing to most new moms than putting their own kids to bed. That's a huge problem for big companies. So they have every incentive to prevent their workers from having children. They can't say that out loud, of course, it'd be too obvious. Give us the best years of your life, and in exchange, we'll pay you what's effectively a subsistence wage in whatever overpriced urban hellscape we're based in, and then take from you the one thing that might give your existence meaning and joy in middle age, which is having children. That's the deal we're offering. That is the deal they're offering, but they can't say that. It would sound like what it is, which is exploitation. No better than what the cotton mills once did to 14-year-old girls. So instead of saying that, which is the truth, corporate America uses the language of the social movement it created, feminism, to spin the entire arrangement as some sort of progressive liberation movement. Fight the patriarchy, have an abortion. It's got nothing to do with lowering our labor costs, we promise. But of course it does have everything to do with lowering their labor costs. Across the country, they are making that case, abortion as liberation. Many of the biggest American companies are now paying female employees to have abortions, to end their pregnancies. That would include Microsoft and Apple, Facebook, 
Yelp, Netflix, Comcast, Goldman Sachs, Citibank, J.P. Morgan, Nike, Starbucks, etc., etc. Dick's Sporting Goods is offering female employees up to $4,000 if they get an abortion. Does the company offer the same amount to female employees who want to have children? Well, the editors at Breitbart wondered that. They asked Dick's Sporting Goods that question, but the company didn't even respond. And that tells you the answer. What's amazing is that in the face of this, so many Americans who ought to know better have fallen for it. So some accountant at a soulless publicly traded corporation concludes that drones with no personal lives make cheaper workers. That's what happened. But rather than question this or resist it, your average college-educated NPR listener nods in vigorous bovine agreement and then becomes completely hysterical when someone suggests that maybe there's another way to live, that it's at least theoretically possible that raising your own children might be more rewarding as a life choice than commuting into a slum on public transportation in order to claw your way up to middle management at Deutsche Bank. But the very thought of that, of turning down Deutsche Bank to bring new life into the world, drives these people into a frenzy of rage. Choosing a family over service to global capitalism? That's disgusting. Shut up! Journalist Drew Hernandez ran into people like this over the weekend. Here's how it went. I guess the pandemic's over. What's wrong, sir? You like killing babies? You love killing babies? Yeah, I love killing babies. Drew Hernandez shot the footage you just saw. He's an investigative reporter and host of Turning Point USA's Frontlines. Subscribe to the Fox News YouTube channel to catch our nightly opens. Stories that are changing the world and changing your life. From Tucker Carlson tonight.